Thanks for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. on your phone but we're going to have the reading come up behind me on the screen so why don't we all just stand and we're going to read the scripture together okay let's stand and read it together shall we and everyone said amen. amen yeah please be seated well I mean that is that is quite a, a scripture And uh, we're going to just dig into it for a short while this morning. Obviously, this is not a Bible study, and we're not going into all the background, etc., etc. But we're just going to hear what God has to say to us as we kind of look at this scripture and we reflect on it where we are. I don't know where you are at this morning in your, your life, in your walk with God. Maybe you don't even know him. Maybe it's the first time that you've you've thought about these things. But you know you know, this, this message of the gospel that we've been singing about actually has been a blessing down through the centuries to thousands upon thousands, indeed millions upon millions of people who've encountered Jesus Christ. And, and today it is still going all around the world and, and, and the church is growing at a terrific rate. And, and this gospel is bearing fruit in all the nations of the earth. And hallelujah for that. Um, it is still the good news. And you've only got to look at the news broadcasts, read the newspapers, listen to the world that you live in and realize that there's not a lot of good news out there. And there's certainly the abilities to deal with man's human condition, uh, the answer always comes back to Jesus. For all our education, for all our social welfare, for all our increase in technology, etc., we still find that the human heart has this same condition that it is fallen, it is broken. We, we live personally broken lives. We have broken relationships. So we live in a broken society. We live in a broken world. And Jesus came into that world to bring salvation, to bring deliverance, to bring healing, and to bring new life. And uh, so here we are. This, this first part of this chapter just kind of celebrates the gospel and points us to the reality of Jesus again and how important he is and it is for us to keep our focus on him. And so, in many ways, two themes want to pick up in it. Thankfulness and fullness. Thankfulness and fullness. We live in a world of, um, generally, ingratitude and impatience, you know. Uh, people's expectation of things, etc. And, uh, you know, gratitude determines altitude. Uh, it does in, in life in general. It does, in our, particularly in our Christian lives. Without gratitude... We're going to stay rooted to the earth, you know. We, we're not going to experience God as he wants us to. And, and, and fullness, that's another thing. You know, Jesus said, I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. Some people think that to become a Christian is a sentence of death. No, it's not. It's life. It's life in Jesus and it's life with a capital L. Jesus promised an abundance of that life. So, Paul was a, a great letter writer. You've only got to have a, a, a basic knowledge of the New Testament to realize that, that a large part of the New Testament is actually written by him. He, he wrote letters. He was a great letter writer. And he always wrote with a purpose. And, you know, I wonder today if he was alive whether he would be a blogger. 
you know, whether he'd be sitting there tapping away, you know, he's got this, this message and I, I want to get it out to as many people as possible. And so, you know, he's blogging every week. I wonder whether he would, you know, uh, be, be on, on, you know, on the Twitter feed and, and, and sending out little sort of feeds every now and again, you know, uh, revealing the, the heart of God through the word and so on. And uh, whether he would or what, wouldn't, I don't know. But he always wrote with a purpose. And, and, and letters are important. I mean, they, they're kind of lost on us today, aren't they? Because we, we don't write them. We just send a, send a simple text. And, and, you know, you don't always necessarily put the name at the front because it's, it's that, kind of that common. You just send the text out and get text back, you know, and, and all of that kind of thing. And, and so some of the means of communication has, has kind of lost importance. But letters are important. And even today when we want to do important things, we tend to write letters. And in New Testament days, they were a very important means of communication. And, and, and so Paul would, would write to the churches, uh, revealing, uh, uh, opening up to them the heart of God and teaching them the word of God. And it's possible that Paul wrote this probably towards the end of his ministry, maybe about AD 60, 62. It could have been earlier. There's some discussion over that. Um, but really, that's not important to hearing what is being said here. So, you know, Paul's got some important things to say and he's sending a letter to them. He addresses some of the, the issues that they, uh, they were facing uh, uh, and, 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 and that was conflicting with their faith. And you don't have to be a Christian long to know that you know, they're, they're, your, your faith comes into conflict with the ideologies of this world. And, and maybe you've been, you, you, you were brought up in a, a Christian background and you lived within that Christian bubble and then suddenly you, you go to university and you think, oh my goodness, I didn't realize people thought like this and, I, and, and all these different philosophies and, uh, and people have gone off to university and they've had their faith shaken because they have not, as it were, processed those things. Uh, praise God for Christian homes, but sometimes it can be a bubble that isolates us from the world in which we live and we, want to, we have to interact with that world and it's good for us to know how it thinks and how our faith encounters that world. And so it was for the early church. They, here in the, the book of Colossians, Paul is writing to them because there's, there's various things around that are, are, are conflicting with the faith as they've received it. And it's suggesting that somehow they haven't got it all and that there is a, another way to get more of this faith, this, this kind of in God, life with God kind of thing. And so he wants to encourage them in Christ. He wants to equip them to live the new life that they are called to in him. And it's an amazing life. And I, it always staggers me, the kind of life that Paul talks about, the Gospels talk of, and the letters talk of with regard to coming to know Jesus. And uh, over and over again, as I, I read them and as I read church history, that it was, not, it, it was the message and transformed lives that impacted the world of that time and caused it to explode at, at an unprecedented rate uh, at which, you know, the, the people look back from today and say, how did that happen? How could such transformation come about in such a short space of time? So right here at the beginning of this letter, we see Paul. He says this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle. So Paul had a calling on his life, and that calling was a particular calling to, to be an apostle. Actually, he didn't plant this church. It's quite likely that Epaphras, who is mentioned a little bit later, who we read of just now in those verses, it's quite possible that Epaphras heard Paul preach the gospel in Ephesus. And, and he responded to the gospel. And 
he becomes a disciple and he's nurtured and he grows and he matures and he goes back to Colossae and he preaches the gospel there. And, and so there are those who come to know Christ and a church is born. So Paul didn't actually plant this church. It's quite likely that it was founded by Epaphras. But Paul writes to them, even though he wasn't the one involved in planting that church, he writes to them as one who is called and enabled by God to an apostolic ministry. Uh, that ministry wasn't just com confined, as it were, to those he founded, but to other churches as well. And we live in a very independent age. We live in an age where, you know, it's uh, sort of the, certainly in the Western world, it's very much about me and my way. And, you know, we sometimes within the general, general scheme of things, uh, you look at church history, uh, you know, there's, there's the talk of independence, like independent churches. Well, actually, in the New Testament, there was no such thing as an independent church. The, the churches were related to one another. The churches were under apostolic ministry and influence, even if they hadn't been founded by an apostle. There was a connection. There wasn't the isolation that we have uh, so much today. And, and, and we just need to be aware of that. And so when we think of Paul writing these letters, he's writing as a man called by God and, and, and called particularly to an apostolic role. And, and we, we thank God for those that we have involvement with apostolically who come and input into our lives as a church through, through New Frontiers and, and elsewhere as well. And, and that provides us you know, wisdom and stability and help and all sorts of things. And uh, so New Testament churches weren't totally independent churches as can happen today. And so Paul is not just anybody. Uh, and so therefore what he says is not to just be taken over. Oh, well, that's Paul's idea. Paul is coming as an apostolic <coughs> gift of God. Paul is speaking to them apostolically and, and he expects what he says to be taken seriously by the church. And so in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul speaks about the word of the truth of the gospel. A little bit sort of bland in the New Living Translation that we read, but some of the more literal translations, the New, New Revised uh, Version, uh, the English Standard Version, etc., have the word of the truth of the gospel. He's not just presenting an idea to be played with, to be toyed with and, and matched against the other philosophies of the world and, you know, how does it add up? This is the word of the truth of the gospel. And, and we need to understand that. There is an authority in this truth that he has proclaimed. There were some people around who were propagating new ideas and practices that were supposed to give them a better or more special knowledge, enabling them to worship God properly. Uh, so in other words, what the, where they were at at this moment in time, oh, there is something more than that. There's a mystical thing. There's something else that you need to hear and to receive to have this better knowledge of God. And Paul actually has no such time uh, for such thinking, for such practice. And uh, the, the word of truth that he proclaims concerns the, the person of Jesus himself, because Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Uh, that th there's no room for any other contenders in that statement, is there? Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And the only way to the Father is through me. And so there's some th points here that Paul wants to make abundantly clear as he begins to unpack his message to them. And number one, it is this, that, um, yeah, Jesus is everything. 
Jesus is everything. His saving and empowering grace in the gospel is everything. And so, number one, Jesus alone is all sufficient. And we have to remind ourselves of that, and we have to continually preach that, because the enemy will like to come in in different ways, subtle ways, to suggest that maybe it's Jesus plus something. And actually, once you get into Jesus plus something, it's Jesus plus how much? You know, is it, is it, is it 90% Jesus and 10% me? Is it 80% Jesus and 20% me? Is it 50-50, you know, Jesus and me? Or is it tilted even the other way? Maybe, you know, it's Jesus 20% and 80% me. And, and you get torn and caught in all sorts of things when you get into that type of Christian living. You know, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Can you say that with me? Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And that, that is the gospel. That is why it's called the good news. Because Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And so that's what Paul is saying here in this book. He's saying, look, Jesus is sufficient. If you know him, that's enough. You can get to know him better, yes, but if you know him, that's all that you need to know. There's no other kind of thing that you need to seek out there that will help you in any way. But Jesus is totally sufficient. All has been made known in Jesus. He is a totally sufficient saviour. Hallelujah. Amen. You know, we've been singing about the gospel. Jesus came and he lived and he died for our sins. Didn't he? He did, didn't he? Yes, Jesus came and he lived and he died for our sins. He had a particular mission to come into the world to seek and to save that which was lost, to destroy the work of the evil one. He came to, to give his life a ransom for many. He, he was born to die, and born to die the death that he did on the cruel Roman cross, bearing all that was wrong about us, all that separated us from the Father, uh, bearing our sins in his sinless body. And, and, you know, communion, when we take communion, it's, it's such a powerful thing to come around this table to think that God invites me round his table for fellowship with himself because of all that Jesus has done. And so we break that bread and we drink that wine and it's, it's an invitation. You may come and you come as you are because Jesus is everything. That is, that is our faith from beginning to end. You know, he is the Alpha and the Omega. Uh, Christ alone is everything and totally sufficient. There is no advantage to, to as it were, special observances, pious practices, etc., uh, etc. Et they add nothing to what Jesus has done. Hallelujah. Amen. That should have a big hallelujah. If Teo was here, she would say, come on, that needs a big hallelujah. So... Yes. <laughs> I love preaching in Africa and I haven't done it for a long time. <laughs> um, number two. What, what, <laughs> number two. What, what separated us then? Our sin has been dealt with that. I'm, I'm already running ahead of myself here. So number two. What, what separated us? Our sin has been dealt with and the price has been paid in full. That's there in 2 verse 14. We do not need to do anything to help God feel better about us. Hey? Well, that should put a smile on your face. You know, we don't need to do anything to help God feel better about us because he always feels good about us, not because of who you are and what you've done or, or whatever, but because of who Jesus is. And our lives are hidden with Christ in God. 
You know, so God feels good about his children. Some of you are not so sure. <laughs> eh? But this is the gospel. The, the old hymn talked about being near to God and so near that you couldn't be any nearer. Uh, and, you know, that, that, is, that is the reality. So he, what separated us, so Jesus is, number one, Jesus is totally sufficient. Number two, what separated us from God has been dealt with, the price has been paid in full, so we have full access into the presence of a holy God. Hallelujah. And number three, any alien powers, spiritual forces have been totally disarmed. That comes out as well in 2 verse 15. The devil and his minions have no authority over us. The only authority that they will have is any authority we yield to them. Yeah? Are you with me? Yeah? Are you sure? Yeah. Okay, come on. <laughs> you know, because this, this Christian life is spiritual warfare. And, it, you know, that, that we, we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. You know, we need, we need to understand these things. And this is what Paul was saying. Understand what God has done in Jesus. Understand that he has paid the price in full for your sin. Because the enemy comes along at times and says, oh, God didn't see that one, did he? You know? Uh, and he will come in with all sorts of things. He drops into our hearts and into our minds and suddenly we go, we go down on a downer. Have you ever been on a downer? Oh, I can't pray because, oh dear, what a, what a rotten person I am. You know, I've let God down again. God knew and Jesus already died for that. Yeah? He did. He did. We can just say, we can, we just say, sorry. Yeah, God, I, I got it wrong. But I praise you for the blood of Jesus. Yeah that covers all my sin. Like Martin Luther, when the enemy would come to him and accuse him of a whole list of <laughs> sins, as the story goes, and point through all of these things, and, and we, we would just go under in condemnation, oh God, I am such a wretch, I am such an awful person, I am such and such and such, and, and we'd be, you know, sort of annihilated. But Martin Luther understood the gospel. Yeah, he had his thoughts and feelings, but he understood the gospel. And he, he said to the devil, he said, that is true, but there's a greater truth than that truth. There's a greater truth than your experience, and that truth is Jesus. And he said to the devil, the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Hallelujah. Yeah? That's the gospel. We are cleansed. So, no alien power, no spiritual force. You have every right you know, the enemy will try and come in and suggest somehow he has some authority. If you yield it to him, you give it to him. Uh, you don't need to do that because Jesus has disarmed the principalities and the powers through the blood of his cross, through his death. The, the devil thought he caught Jesus, he trapped him, and that was it. But Jesus beats him and he rises again, the conquering saviour. Hallelujah. And then he says here, he addresses it to the saints. To the saints. I grew up in a background which basically said we are, we are worms. We are, we, are, we are just sinners saved by grace. You know, where I'm just a child of light walking in darkness with the emphasis on the darkness. And that doesn't do much for you. You know, it, and that, that's not how scripture says it. You know, we, we are saints. Amen? Amen? 
We are saints. Why? Because we have been purchased by the blood of Jesus. Why? Because we, have, we belong to God. And because we belong to God, he has made us holy through Jesus. So I'm not going to die. Well, I'm going to die one day, unless Jesus comes beforehand. But I'm not going to die one day and then wait a few hundred years to see whether someone does any miracles in my name, to see whether I gain some sense of sainthood. I am a saint now. That is the identity I've been given by God through Jesus Christ. That is the identity you have been given by God through Jesus Christ, if you know him. Amen? Amen. So you can lift your head high. You know, the enemy, lots of people, if you ever watch, I, I'm a, I, I, I love watching people. I'm a people watcher. And, you know, when you go into town, you go anywhere, the number of people who just walk kind of looking down. You know, they just look down all the time. And sometimes we as Christians can be like that. We just walk around looking down. Look up. Amen. Look up. You know, we, we lift your head. You know, don't let the enemy bow you down. Yeah, we've got pressures in life, but we've got a great God. Yeah. yeah, who's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ever ask or even think. And he's our father and he owns a cattle on a thousand hills and the wealth in every mine. So, I mean, amazing, isn't it? Yeah. So this is Paul's frequent greeting to the church whenever he writes to them. They're not sinners. They're saints. They're set apart. They're made holy because they were now God's possession. I'm God's possession. Get off my back, devil. You know? We need, you know, we need I think, to recover a sense of militancy in our Christian lives. Amen? We need to recover a sense of militancy in our Christian lives. The devil loves passivity. Yep. And if, if you get passive in your Christian life, the devil will walk all over you. He will, honestly. You know, he will walk all over you and you'll feel awful and you'll feel rotten and you'll feel down and you'll feel worthless. You won't feel like reading. You won't feel like praying, etc., etc. Exactly what the enemy wants. <coughs> but when you get into the truth and you allow it to encourage you and lift your spirit, you put the enemy to flight. You do. So, you're a saint. Amen? Say, I am a saint. Say it with some degree of affirmation and confidence. I am a saint. Yes. Yeah, so I'm a saint. Yeah, you still fail occasionally. From time to time we do. But he's got it covered. Hallelujah. He's got it covered. That doesn't give you an excuse to just go out there and live any old way you like. Why would you want to live like that way anyway and mess up your life and other people's lives as well? You know? So, to the saints. To the saints. To the faithful ones. He says grace and peace. Grace and peace. As we, have we been worshipping this morning? Have you been receiving God's grace? Have you been receiving the peace that he gives. You know, that's why, that's why Paul constantly says that kind of thing, because we live in a world of conflict, and we need to come into spaces where we hear God's heart. That's why church is important, because we hear God's heart, and, and we hear that, that, that greeting, grace to you. You know the acrostic, don't you? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches 
at Christ's expense. All of God's riches at Christ's expense. So before we go any further, can you, can you just hear that? As if Paul was standing here just talking to you this morning and bringing the heart of God, saying, grace to you. There's no effort in grace. Out there in the world where we encounter these battles, we can, we can get caught up and lost in the battle. And, it, and that's why we, we come into places like that, because he's the glory and the lifter of our head. Right? So grace to you and peace. Peace. The peace that he gives. The peace that passes all understanding. Just receive it at this moment. Those two words, grace, peace, grace, peace, more grace, more peace. Grace, peace. And then he goes on to give thanks for them, and we've read about it there. We always pray for you. Paul was a man of prayer, verse 3. We always pray for you. We, we give thanks to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He was always thankful for the church. And the only time he wasn't is when he writes to the church in Galatia. And they have lost sight of the grace of God. They are getting into the work of the flesh and trying to perform up to God. And he says, oh, what's happened? You know, you, you, you've, you've, you've lost something. I, I clearly painted that picture of Christ as having been done the work and as totally sufficient. But you seem to have forgotten that. And so he thanks God for them. Thanks God for them. Do you thank God for the body of Christ? Yeah? Do you, you know, just reflect and thank, Father, I thank you for this body of Christ, this, this family, my brothers and sisters in Jesus. Do you pray for the body of Christ? And so he was thankful, and as I commented earlier, you know, gratitude determines altitude. If we're not grateful, we will never gain altitude. But by just looking around and saying, God, I thank you. Thank you for what you've done in my life. Thank you for what you've done in others' lives. Thank you for every expression of your grace, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness, your faithfulness. And let's be sure, you know, we live in a world where the enemy wants to make us focus on the things that, oh, that's wrong, that's wrong, that one's wrong, that one, etc., etc. And you can fall for his trap keep our eyes on him and we give thanks we give thanks for small mercies and large ones etc and he speaks about the hope that they have in verse 5 that that hope that in the new living translation puts it confident hope it's funny that you should have to use the expression confident hope uh, because actually hope should have confidence to it anyway shouldn't it but of course we live in a world that kind of says hope so and even Christians say, well, hope so, hope so, hope. 
Well, I hope so. Hope is not a hope, is it? If you follow me, you know? And, you know, that they, they had a sure and certain hope that dwelt within them. And that hope, as it says there, which come from, from you, your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. You know, there is a heaven. You should have got a bigger amen than that. There is a heaven. Yeah. This is not all that there is to life. There is a heaven. And we can have a confident hope of heaven. And that has an impact upon our lives in this present time. And it had an impact on the early church. It had an impact on the way they did life. They knew that uh, there was hope. You're referring to the film I mentioned earlier on, The Hidden Life. Uh, uh, it's a Christian family. And uh, what happens is uh, the, the husband is, is called up, and, but he, he cannot say Heil Hitler. He will not do it. And as a result, he suffers for that reason. And, and they don't understand the suffering. And they're saying all kinds of prayers and so on. And the struggle of faith in that kind of situation. But in both of them, when they reach the critical point, there is the hope of heaven. And it's whatever happens to me, there is that hope. Uh, and for the wife, it was, yeah, whatever happens to you, I still have that hope as well. And one day we will meet again. It is a, a powerful, powerful image, and, uh, but it's, a, it's in danger of being lost in our, in our world today where we live so much in the present, the hope of heaven. Hallelujah. The hope of heaven. Do you have that hope this morning? Do you have that sure and certain hope, that confident hope? I've sat beside Christians in their dying days and... And, uh, and, yeah, the enemy comes in and he assails them even at that point in time. And, and, and I've had Christians say to me, Richard, I am not sure. I am not sure. I don't know whether I've done enough even. You know? And, and the enemy will try to undermine that hope in some way. Uh, people who you would have thought had that hope throughout all of their lives and then, then, then the battle rages as the end draws near. And... Uh, and I've sat there and I've said to whoever it was, it's never have been about how much you've done. It's whether Jesus has done enough. It's whether Jesus is a totally sufficient saviour. And he is. He is. He is. And we of all people should have that strong hope within us because this is part of our witness to the gospel, that this is not all there is. Frankly, if this is all that there is, we could probably sort of fold up and go and do our own thing. <coughs> you know, what would be the point of doing this? You know, we'd be all, of all men most miserable because we're, you know, what, what is this about? But Jesus came from heaven to earth. He lived in a body. <coughs> he died in a body. And he rose again physically from the dead. And he ascended into heaven, the forgotten doctrine, his ascension, the fact that there is a man in the glory gives me hope in my Christian life. That when I die, I will go to be with him. Yes. Hallelujah. Whoa. Isn't the gospel good? Yeah. Hey? It's really, really good. And then lastly, I need to draw quickly to a close. <laughs> lastly, fullness. So in verse 9 there, so he encourages them to be a thankful people and then in, in verse 9, he prays for their fullness. 
Paul's great prayer for the church was fullness. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will or the fullness of it and to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. Then you will live the way you live, will always honor and please the Lord and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. All the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. So we can grow in this knowledge of God. And he's praying that they will have that understanding. And, and uh, you know, that's why we do different kinds of courses. So, you know, got the Alpha course, which introduces people to Jesus. Then the course that follows that helps them to, to grow more in that understanding. Then we've got things like Freedom in Christ, which helps people to understand who they are in Jesus Christ and so on. So, you know, there is potential for growth. There is potential for, for an increasing fullness within the Christian life. And that, that's, that means there's an expansiveness to the Christian life. There's a, there's a place to grow and to increase and to flourish within it. Christianity is not just a, a little bit of something to help us get through life. <laughs> it is a, a new life. Yeah, It's a new life and it's a full life. And, and Paul's prayer and expectation is that they will grow in the knowledge and experience of that fullness. Hallelujah. Are you growing in that? Maybe even as we've just been talking this morning, something's been exciting your heart, you know, and stirring, and you think, wow, yeah, I've never seen that before. Wow, that, that's good, isn't it? Wow, I, I just need to get to grips with that a bit more. And, uh, yeah, so Paul prays for them to be filled with three particular things, the knowledge of God's will, that is, his revealed will. And for that, we, you know, go to the letters, read your Bible. You know, if you miss a preach, go online and listen to a preach. And, you know, in, saturate yourself in the word of God, which is the will of God. And it will do you good. You may not always understand it. Sometimes I read bits and I don't understand them. But, you know, sometimes I eat food and I don't always understand it. But I know that it does me good. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, I don't understand all the processes or, or whatever. Um, you know, it's like teaching children, isn't it? You know, you must eat your greens. You must have all your rainbow colours, isn't it? That's what they say these days. Yeah. Have your rainbow colours of your veggies. You know, children, well, 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 well. You know, but actually do it and it will do you good. You don't have to stand understand all that goes behind it. But just saturating yourself and, and praying, Holy Spirit, because what I do is I say, Holy Spirit, you inspired these people to write this. Holy Spirit, would you just inspire me to understand it? Would you give me revelation? Would you, would you be my teacher? You know? And uh, he's amazing. So, filled with the knowledge of his will. Strengthened, and don't we all need strength? So he prays that they will be strengthened. And we constantly need the strengthening of God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So we need the Holy Spirit constantly to be filling us and renewing us and strengthening us because we are in a battle. And there are times when we, when we will feel weak and so on. And, and we must avail ourselves of the strength that he gives to us. And, and so we, 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 we receive that strength. And, and then he prays for their endurance. He says, I pray that you may be filled with endurance. And that's again a quality that we need just to keep on going. Keep on going perhaps when there are no answers at this moment in time. Keep on going perhaps when we don't understand exactly what God's doing. You know, there are times I've walked through the Christian life and I thought, I, I don't understand 
I don't, why, why is this working out? But like, like the, the tapestries of old when they used to use those looms, you know, and they used to have those things going to and fro and, and they would say, you know, actually when they're looking at it, you, you, you saw this messy sign. It kind of like didn't make sense until they finished it and then they took it off and they, and wow, isn't that beautiful? You know, well, that's what God's doing with our lives. We don't always understand everything, you know, and we need endurance just to keep going. So, let's pray, shall we? Would you like just, just to stand? Wow. Wow. Wow, God, your gospel is amazing. And I pray that something of that amazement has <coughs> struck our hearts and minds this morning. <coughs> that Jesus plus nothing is indeed absolutely everything. That we this morning are just recipients of your wonderful grace, of your peace. We come against every lie of the evil one in our lives. The whispering campaigns that he goes on. And we come back to this word and we say, God, your word is truth. Your word is truth. Jesus is sufficient. You died for all our sin. Our sin is covered. You died to set us free. And we are free indeed. You've given us your Holy Spirit. And we can say, Abba, Father. Oh, we praise you that this Christian life is not some cramped, stingy kind of life, but a life that is meant to be full and dynamic in every way. And so help us, Lord, to go away from here with our heads held high. And with that sure and certain confidence, that hope of heaven pervading our lives and our witness. And so may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be the portion of each one of us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't you just turn around and just hug somebody and just share.